Hello, my name is Mary-Kate Henry and welcome to the Great Design Lead podcast. I'm a graphic designer and right now I'm a designer at Pentagram in New York City, working mostly on branding and digital projects. And I'm so excited to talk to you today, Emily. I am so excited to hear your voice again because <laughs> it was, I mean, so I guess a little backstory on how we know each other. Um, I, we're from very similar, like nearby towns. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to Parkland High School, which is in Allentown, uh, kind of like Orfield area. And you went to, um, uh, Bethlehem Central Catholic, if I'm right. Yep. Bethlehem Catholic. Yeah. Um, that's so funny because we used to obviously being so close play you guys in sports and <laughs> I remember being bused to Parkland all the time and arriving and just being like wow this school is so cool and so big <laughs> it's like a palace or something we always make the joke that um that Parkland is called Parkland because of all the parking spaces <laughs> That's so and funny. like more more than the footprint of the school is just the parking spaces it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy we have like I think we had seven elementary schools that uh, funneled into this high school and they, they were losing space. So it was, yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, it's also really funny because they, um, uh, there's always this meme online saying that our school looks like the Millennium Falcon from uh, <laughs> Star Wars. That's amazing. <laughs> so if you ever Google Parkland High School, like probably those memes might show up before the school. So that's kind of funny. That's but yeah, awesome. so... We know each other because um uh I was um I went on a graphic design internship in uh New York in early 2019. So it was like right before everything went down. I was like the last mm -hmm. internship class to like have a normal life. And <laughs> <laughs> and while I was there um I wanted to go visit things, I wanted to do things. I was really excited and I was looking online on LinkedIn and I was just like I just spent a lot of time there <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, someone from my hometown works at Pentagram. I wonder if she wants to be friends. <laughs> of course <laughs> and she then does. I reached out to you and it was, I think it was before I moved because I was in my old apartment and I remember waking up and getting an email back from you and I was like in disbelief that you even responded. <laughs> and oh then, <laughs> my gosh. and then the fact that not only did like I, I think I remember saying something like, "Hey, I'd love to like meet up or something like that, go to coffee, or I just wanted to get to know you." And you invited me to the office, and I don't know if you knew how much that meant to me Aww. because that was that was so kind of you. And I went there, and I I walked in, and uh, I was sitting in that little waiting room, and I it was crazy because Natasha Jen walked in, looked at me, and walked away, and I was like. <laughs> Oh my God, that's a real person. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, well, I mean, for context, a few years back, I was in your position and a student and reaching out to people all the time. And I had the same feeling when someone at a company that I liked worked or wrote back to me. And so I'm very happy to do the same. And it was really awesome to hear from someone from my hometown, especially. And I remember you came in and you showed me your work and it was awesome. And we had a great discussion and you had a great internship going. And now that you're out of school, it was so nice to hear what you have going on and all about your company that you're starting, which is so awesome. And yeah, it was it was a really great discussion, and I'm glad we got to stay in touch since. Yeah, we uh, I 
ever since I met you, I don't know. I, I, I just really, really liked you. So I don't know if it was kind of weird that I, I just kept on like randomly emailing you. Just like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> like, how's working from home? And like, you're like, we met once, but I'll, I'll be friends with you. I'm like, okay. No, that's, that's amazing. It's, it's seriously so great. And you are such a great person that I'm so glad to stay in touch and yeah, keep up with each other. Oh, well, well, uh, what I want to do with you today is I, uh, I, my favorite thing to do is to talk to people like you and, um, like really get to know them and everything. And so, uh, before I get to that, how did you feel about, um, getting a bunch of notes about yourself? Was that a weird <laughs> feeling? Actually, it sort of was. And I was with my, my little sister at the time, and she was so glad that she was mentioned in the notes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you did a very thorough research on me, and there's some really funny old pictures that you pulled and like little memories from high school and things. So yeah, I'm very curious to see where this discussion goes today. <laughs> well, I would like to start it kind of like at the at the very beginning. Um, uh, this is something that I, I like talking about, um, is that often when people are going from job to job and, uh, they, um, they haven't found the right fit, once they do find the right fit and they, it's something that they're passionate about in terms of like a career, um, often people are able to, um, make connections to their childhood of, of things that they were like naturally inclined to. And so before we talk about college, before we talk about New York or anything like that, I kind of want to hear a little bit more about you in like middle school, high school, like before you even decided what you wanted to do, like, what were you like? <laughs> um. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> I actually, yeah, so thinking way back, um, I was always into art. And I always give that credit to my dad, who's actually a toy designer, which as a kid is like the coolest job ever because he gets to take home free toys. Um, and so I grew up in this little one square mile town in South Jersey, right across the river from Philadelphia. It's called Riverside. Um, mm. And yeah, he was working at the time for Matchbox, which is some people don't know it, but it's kind of like Hot Wheels, like the people use usually associated as little boy toys especially in the 90s um but yeah that's what I grew up with which was amazing and my dad he sort of has a crazy story to go way back um, huh. yeah so he um had a surgery go wrong when he was very little and so he was a very fragile little kid and he couldn't really play or do sports or um much physical and so he taught himself to draw and that's how he became a designer himself and so when I was little he took it upon himself to teach me how to draw as well and so when I was like below 10 years old I was learning perspective and all sorts of drawing techniques which was really awesome and I loved it and my my moment of pride probably more than anything in my life is that when I was in preschool I won most artistic award and I still have the trophy so uh, yeah I think I drew like a, a horrible cow on a t-shirt or something and we're like this is great so you get this plastic trophy um but since then I think I really liked art in school and I always really liked drawing and then um, I moved to Pennsylvania when I was, I think I was like 11 or 12. So my childhood was kind of like split between New Jersey and then where you grew up. Um, and 
there, I think you also took classes at the bomb school. I actually was lucky enough when I was in eighth grade, they gave free courses away to a few kids at each school. And so I got to take a drawing course, which was really, yeah, it was amazing. And so that kind of reinforced my interest in art. Um, And then in high school, I was really unsure of what I wanted to go to college for. And I knew I liked art, but I was in the classic position where my parents were like, you know, it's really hard to make a living as an artist. And (laughs) now that I've gone to school with artists, I know that that can be challenging, but that a lot of people are also very successful. But I ended up going into graphic design at Kutztown, which is an amazing school. And especially if you're in state, just, I mean, it's awesome. And I would recommend Kutztown to anyone. Um, But yeah, I was, I was torn between English and graphic design and I toured the design program at Kutztown when I was in high school. And I was like, yep, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of my uh, my childhood. What was I like? Um, I was definitely a nerd. Um, <laughs> I, I did. I was in a lot of sports that I was really bad at. But then I, I did cheerleading for a while, which I got really into, which it's kind of a contrast to the art world. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I really, I really liked that as well. And I cheered for um, Bethlehem Catholic for a while. And I actually cheered for my first year at um, Kutztown as well. But then I really needed to focus on art. So I dropped that <laughs> after the first year. But yeah. That's so interesting. And so uh, your dad sounds like a really interesting character like yeah. in, in in his career and everything like that like ha- i'm my question is and this is always like a fun question that uh um i think about in like my own life is how did you go from like uh kind of more traditional art sketching and things like that like who told you about graphic design because that's not something people know about until they figure it out yeah definitely um i I want to say my dad did know about graphic design. He was working with graphic designers a lot. And for that, I was lucky because I think a lot of people, especially parents, typically don't know what graphic design is. And so they, or even like guidance counselors, it wasn't, especially a few years ago, as common um, as something to recommend to students. So I think my dad might have mentioned it. And then like a lot of, people from Kutzen actually go to Crayola where he works now. I don't know if mm. I mentioned that. Um, and so possibly someone there mentioned that there's a really good program just like 40 minutes away. So um, I think that might've been how I ended up being exposed to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I fell in love with it and I actually didn't know how to use Photoshop or any of the software until I started school, which is one of the great things about Kutzen. Your whole first year is pretty much hands-on art, um, like painting and drawing and color theory. And then you take, I want to say like one Photoshop class. And then after that year, you really dive into it. And so I was lucky I didn't feel very behind. Um, But yeah, it wasn't until college that I got exposed to software. That's really interesting. What was your, do you remember how you felt when you first started using the Adobe programs? (laughs) Because when I first started, um, and I, I said this once before, but, uh, I, I was, I got, I took one, uh, a computer art class at, uh, at the bomb school of art. And, uh, that was the first time I, I figured out what, what Photoshop was. And I thought it was so cool. And I managed to get a copy of it. And, and I started going through these, these books. They were like these 
these square Adobe sponsored Photoshop books that had a CD on in the back page. It was like, wow. Kids now would probably not know what I'm talking at all about. <laughs> but, but I would do that and I would um uh I don't know why I did this, but I would Google a picture of Kim Kardashian with makeup and Kim Kardashian without makeup, and I put them side by side and try to make the two images look the same. Wow, interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's a good a good exercise because you're doing probably like very subtle natural shifts to a face. So yeah, I mean, good for you. I I remember feeling very overwhelmed and like there were a thousand buttons and I didn't know how to control the things that I wanted. <laughs> and so like anything with time, it, it came together. But I also remember the world sort of opening to me and realizing that I can make a lot more with these tools. And of course, as the years went on, I learned how exactly to do that. But um, yeah, I'm trying to think, I think one project we had in school was that we had to age someone so it was kind of oh. similar yeah you had to pick a celebrity and then age them progressively and you had to make a gif out of it which was yeah a very interesting project but sort of similar to your kim kardashian project <laughs> my uh i was just uh you were sitting in in school and i was sitting in like a little corner room in my house <laughs> just like being such a not cool kid Oh my gosh, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> but we're doing something similar. <laughs> yeah. So so I want to hear a little bit about Kutztown because um uh I like obviously I knew about Kutztown uh growing up in the Lehigh Valley. Um and a lot of my friends went there. Um like when when people would graduate from my school, I know this is like a regional thing, but a lot of people would go to Penn State, Pittsburgh, and Kutztown. Those are like the big schools that 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 people that I graduated with went to and then um I went to Drexel because I I was like super into the whole like internship co-op thing and um I noticed so many user experience designers graphic designers that were doing really really well were all coming from Kutztown like it it was really like recruiters I was talking to in the in the design space like I, I told you I think I got connected to you because you were also connected to Nellie Ortiz, and I met her once, and I thought she was so cool. I don't know if she even remembers me to this point, but <laughs> I I remember hearing, like, she went to Kutztown, and I'm like, like th this school must be really, really good, and, like, what are they doing differently from other schools? So I'm just curious, like, what was your, your time there in your classes like? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you're totally spot on. There's a really amazing output of graduates who just go all over especially Pennsylvania like Philadelphia um some local towns and even some to New York who just enter into all of the local companies and design agencies and um are just really fortunate to have a background that lets them get these jobs and I think a lot of companies now look for Kutztown grads because the program has been going for so long and there's people like Nellie who were ahead of me who are sort of getting jobs and laying a foundation to then want to take more Kutztown grads. And Nellie is amazing. I actually worked with her at an internship at um, the Kyle David group, which is um, a technology design group in Allentown. And they were so much fun to work for. 
That's uh, so and interesting. I, yeah, and, and I went to middle school with her little sister, Libby, and then I went to college and high school with Nellie. So, yeah, I've sort of crossed with the Ortiz's quite a bit. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Kutztown is so, I mean, it's just so wonderful. And I think in contrast to a lot of other design schools, um, there's a real sense of, like, openness and it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere and so you're like in the middle of the countryside and it's so beautiful but then we're all in this one building together from all over like city and rural Pennsylvania and people even from like around the country and occasionally people from around the world um learning to make things in this little building um and the professors are just so amazing and so many of them have really awesome interesting backgrounds a lot of them come from uh, agencies in New York or Philadelphia. Um, I know a lot of them studied at Marywood and so they just know what they're doing and they make it really fun and really, um, experimental. And there's a lot of really great digital experimentation going on there. Um, and so, yeah, that, I mean, Cookstown, it, it just really set me up for a really great future. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else there is to say. <laughs> I, I, was, sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, I, I, I was just curious that, um, uh, when I think about my time in college, um, sometimes there are like certain professors that kind of stick out or things that they said to me or even like a specific class. Like I had one specific class that completely like changed what way I wanted to go with my post college life. Hmm. There are things that like, kind of stuck out to you or or advice that people gave you yeah I mean there's so many professors that I can say sort of altered or encouraged my career path and in a really positive way um there was one course that I took that was sort of a turning point for me I think until my junior year I was I wasn't necessarily like I, I was just kind of going with the flow I wasn't making anything that was extra interesting um but I was doing okay and then I took this one course actually towards the end of my junior year um that was editorial focused with Professor Comfer shout out to Professor Comfer (laughs) um (laughs) and we do this course I think I think they still offer it and I think the project is the same it's through the Society of Publication Designers we do a project and then we submit to their annual student award and that project is awesome because a lot of students from my school are fortunate enough to win. And if you win, you get to go to New York and do an internship and you get to stay at an SVA dorm for free. So it's like, all oh, my goodness. Covered. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about like if you can't afford to live in New York, that's not really an issue. Um, and so I was lucky enough that year with another student to win and we got to go to New York. But Professor Comfort, I mean, she totally just encouraged me to perfect this project and I actually had something going and I just totally scrapped it and redid it in the middle of the project I remember um and yeah the outcome was something that I was really excited about I think it was like a Julie Andrews but I had like a weird like interest in Julie Andrews history at the time and so I did it (laughs) on her um and it was the theme had to be like 50 years of an anniversary for something and that year it was the sound of music and my mom like loves the sound of music so I was like okay I'll I'll learn more about this um and yeah so I got to work that summer at Sports Illustrated thanks to her guidance and I mean after that she had done so much for me she submitted me to 
other awards, like in the school and outside the school. And just, I mean, gave me so many awesome um, little perks for my resume that, you know, just really um, changed my career trajectory. So yeah, I think that, and they also, there's um, a really amazing digital professor named Josh Miller, and he does so much awesome um, progressive work at the school where we learn to experiment with code. Um, we learn processing, HTML, CSS. Yeah, and so there's a lot of that going on now, which was so fun. Um, and then there's also a really amazing professor who does a course called Professional Practices, which I think when I like signed up for that course, I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to like <laughs> get through this. But in reality, that course is like how to interview, how to make a resume, how to apply for a job, which is actually like 50% of applying and like getting a job as a graphic designer, mm. uh, making that first impression. And so her course was amazing. And I mean, just like really taught me how to apply and get into internships. Um, and I mean, when I was in school, that was one thing about Kutztown. And also my mom <laughs> was like, <laughs> you need to intern. And I was like, okay, okay, I need to intern and like make money in the summers. And so every summer I tried really hard to get an internship and even did some winter ones. So I think by the time I was done school, I had done about, I want to say five internships. Wow. Yeah. Which, I mean, you as a Drexel student, I'm sure understand the nature of <laughs> yeah. like what working in a space can do for you and having experience outside of just school and in the real world can do. So um, that was really awesome. So yeah. So when you're talking about that, I, I want to talk about school first, and then I want to talk about uh, uh, Sports Illustrated. So one thing that's kind of neat um, is the change from designing for your professors, because you can kind of, if you have the same professor over and over again, if you don't have like a huge faculty staff, um, you can kind of tell how a professor is going to grade. And if you want a really good grade in class, you can like design for that professor's taste. And so when you, when you graduate, um, just like the change from trying to please somebody versus trying to make the very best thing that you can make can sometimes be a shift. Did you did you feel that when you were going from internship to college and then from college to uh, post-grad life? I think so. That's a really interesting question. And I think that even sort of continues with each person that you work for, right? It's like the same as a professor. So like everyone that I work for, I can say that their style or their method of designing has influenced me. And I think you sort of start to, I, I, if you're working for someone who's a good creative director or um, studio head or whatever their role might be, I think they allow for a melding of the two. So, you know, your, your creative work or experimentation plus what their outcome or desired outcome might be because a lot of studios have like an aesthetic, as you would say, right? So sometimes you kind of know when you're working for a certain studio or person um, that that's going to be the output. But yeah, I think um, every school sort of has like maybe a specific look or feel. Like I can definitely say that like certain schools have a certain aesthetic output and that might be influenced by the professors. Um, but I always think that a really good professor or 
um, design boss or whatever you want to call it, whoever you're working for allows for you to sort of influence the work, but still um, sort of have an output that they also want. So it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, that that sounds pretty pretty right. I I remember uh, um, when I got my first internship, uh, and I I don't know. I just remember getting there. I'm like, oh, this is very different than school. Like this is the real world. Like everything's done so much faster than school. In school, you you take one project and you uh, you stretch it out to be the whole term, or you have, just have the coursework and you have the term to do it, and then you you have your job, and they're like, can you get this done by Tuesday? And you're like. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a huge shift. I mean, timelines are, I mean, like crazy different in the real world than they are in school. And I think in the real world, you know, you're more so working with a team. And so things tend to happen faster. Whereas at Kutztown, a lot of the work, although there were group projects, a lot of it's individual flow and study. So you get like eight weeks to make one poster in school. But then when you go to your job, it's like, okay, we have one week to offer like five identity directions. Can you do this? And it's like, <laughs> oh, I I guess I'll try. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the pace is a really big shift. But um, after a little while, if you're working for the right people, you you sort of adjust and learn how to work a little bit faster. Yeah, so uh when when you were talking about your uh sports illustrated internship and that was you graduated in 2016 and the sports illustrated was in 2015 um i feel like i might be able to relate to this being from the same town but like um was that was your first long term stay in new york right yes it was so what was that like because i i i don't know it might be similar to how i felt uh what was it like living in New York for like longer than than a weekend and and like I don't know what, what was that like for that summer? Yeah, and I have a feeling just like you said you are going to be able to relate to this as well and I'm curious to hear how it was for you last summer or was it sorry not two summers ago, right? Because of the pandemic that you Yeah, were- yeah, I was there for uh Drexel has the the 6 month one. So I was there for the fall and winter and so it was like a totally oh, right. different experience with like snow and cold <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got real new york <laughs> um yeah it was and i i think like a lot of the people that i'm friends with in new york or the people that i work with are from other countries and so they're probably mm-hmm. like you're from two hours away how crazy can it be but especially going from Kutztown for four years which is in the middle of just like farmland going to New York was it was definitely shocking for me and it definitely took a lot of adjustment but I'm glad that when I was there for that internship and for the first time there was sort of an end date to it right so it wasn't like I was going and I had no idea when I would leave it was like Mm. okay you have a three-month time period here do what you can with it. And then you get to go back to this like cozy little, like quiet (laughs) farmland area. Um, And so it was really awesome to go there and experience New York. I mean, there's nothing like it. And of course people say that all the time, but there really isn't. And the energy I just craved. And I think it was good that I had a break back at school between, but I knew that I wanted to come back and um, be a part of the design 
world here just because it didn't feel quite like anywhere else. And I mean, I think I've always been like, you're going to do this for a few years. But then, you know, I, I personally don't prefer a city to somewhere a little bit more rural. But <laughs> just like everyone else, I seem to not be leaving. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. But yeah, I was I was so lucky that SVA donated these dorm rooms because I I would have never been able to afford living in New York as a student unless I was working alongside like the internship or something crazy um but yeah it was awesome and I was lucky that another student from my school came who was a friend and um we were did you room together we didn't we actually okay it was crazy like SVA had this dorm that was it's now a hotel it used to be a hotel then it was a dorm and now it's a hotel again, but they're like these little individual rooms. It's like super Aww. small. Um, and so we had our own room, but we were on the same floor. So we got to see each other. Um, but yeah, it was, it was awesome because it was on like 23rd Street, which is definitely a very central area, easy to get everywhere. So we were just like living in the heart of the city and it was a really awesome summer to explore museums and, um, work. And I actually, Sports Illustrated, you only work four days a week. So I had, extra oh. time explore yeah I had like Wednesdays off or something very weird so yeah it was it was really cool um but yeah I the internship itself was really great I I chose it there, there were three magazines offered to me and I chose that one but I didn't know anything about sports at all and <laughs> this is like my most embarrassing story well probably not most but one of my most embarrassing stories is that LeBron James was coming into the office that day and I didn't know who he was and everyone was just like what <laughs> you work at Sports Illustrated and you don't know who LeBron James is did you and see him I didn't actually I think oh, he was okay. in like a specific because the floor is huge there it was like the whole width of the building um but I remember people just being like okay <laughs> wow um, but yeah, it was it was really awesome. And I was really into editorial design at the time. So it was great to get a magazine under my belt. That's so so. So what was it like working there that I mean, you had you were at Creole before, but uh, uh, Sports Illustrated is like a whole nother level, like fast paced. I'm guessing like, I, I'm guessing you were working like the Adobe programs, maybe Adobe InDesign. Like, what was it like? Yeah, so it was almost all in InDesign, unless we were doing like spot illustrations or graphics, then we would use like Illustrator or something a little bit more flexible. Um, but I mostly worked on sections of the magazine that were consistent. So like ones that appear um, in every issue. Mm. And I got to work with two amazing mentors and supervisors. And I mostly actually worked on like converting that section of the magazine to digital so they also have like an ipad output version of or like an app driven version of the magazine oh, okay so we had to make it interactive so like you could click on things or like do um voiceovers and so it was a lot of like adding little interactive elements to the magazine which was kind of interesting um, but it was great. And what's awesome about them is that they have a big internship program. And so there were a lot of different interns working there, photographers, writers, and so even I think like lawyers. So um, I got to meet a lot of people and it was a great experience. But I think that was the last magazine that I worked for. And then I kind of shifted into branding after that, which I think at the time I would have been shocked to hear. But 
yeah, it was it was an awesome experience to work there. Why would you be shocked to hear? Was there a while you were at uh, Sports Illustrated? Was there something that made you think, okay, now that I'm actually doing this, I instead of publication design, I think I'd rather go into branding and different campaigns Mm -hmm. yeah I I think at the time because I had taken that course in school and loved it so much that I kind of just latched on to editorial and I was like I love this so much I loved having just a big open spread and canvas to lay things out on and I think I will forever love print and editorial and book design it will always have a little special place in my heart even though I haven't done it in a very long time um But then I think going back to school that year, there was a really heavy course on branding. It was a Mm -hmm. senior seminar. And there I was just kind of like, you know what, I think this is right for me. And I knew that branding, so I think a lot of branding studios do a lot of different things. So every studio I've worked for that's branding focused also does book design or takes on editorial work. And so it was allowing myself not to be as pigeonholed in editorial because once you start working in that it's kind of all you're doing right so I wanted to be able to have a little bit of all the worlds like digital branding and even some print design so that's sort of where I decided to make the shift just to leave my doors open at least while I enter the design world if that makes sense absolutely and uh there's something that I always loved about design firms and um, like we can talk later about Pentagram, but it's the thing that I love is like what you're selling is good design, no matter what form that comes in. Mm-hmm. Like that might be um, the overall uh, brand package. That might be a book. That might be a website. It's just like so interesting. Like the whole um, uh, I think the, the quote, the Massimo Vignelli quote of like, you should be able to design from like the the pen to the the skyscraper or something like that that's mm-hmm. very wide but uh but it's, <laughs> it's really a, it's an interesting thing of like what exactly you're you selling you're selling good design and and like a place like that you there there's so much you can do and i feel like uh it's it's um not impossible but it's a bit harder to get bored when there's so many different kinds of projects going on Totally. And that's a really big appeal of working for somewhere like a design studio where you're taking on a lot of different clientele. I mean, one of the coolest things about working in a place like that is that you get to learn about so many different companies and what they do, especially startups who are doing something super different. Um, So yeah, there's a huge perk to that, for sure. And I know you sort of went into UX and learning more about like the digital world and even there there's a lot that you can learn and have a lot of really amazing variety especially as we head into this like crazy digital future right (laughs) so (laughs) I think you'll get a bit of that too even if you don't go um, into branding yeah so so you graduate 2016 um what was that time like for you and I I'm curious if you were excited about graduating because for a while I wasn't excited about graduating because I didn't know what I was going to do like I um I wasn't sure if if I wanted to go into uh I, graphic design because there's like I was starting to get super interested in user experience design and web development and stuff like that and so I remember when I was graduating like that was a long time ago it was like a month ago um (laughs) 
like I was like not excited because when when you graduate high school, it's super exciting because you have a plan. Um, <laughs> when right. you graduate college, there is no plan. Right, right. <laughs> so how was that for you? So I have to say that I was very lucky because I ended up having an internship that turned into a job when I graduated. And so I was very, very fortunate not to be in that boat. But I know a lot of people who were there. And the only advice I can give from someone who was fortunate not to experience that is just time and patience and don't be hard on yourself if things aren't working out right away, especially now when we're in a pandemic and when companies are struggling, hiring is challenging. And so it's really like a, it's not you, it's me situation, <laughs> but um, that eventually things work out and it, it's very hard. I mean, you're right. Like when you leave high school, there's a plan set up for you. You're probably going to college or you're probably going to learn a skill or you're probably trying to look for a job right away. Um, and so with college, it's different. You're like expected to be flung into the real world. And if you don't have something ready to go, it can be really scary because you might need to be financially independent at that point. So, um, yeah, I think just being patient and applying and applying and reaching out to people, that's something you're very good at. Just connecting with people, even if they're not hiring um, is just like such a useful thing to do because you never know down the line if someone could be hiring for um, a different role that might be fitting for you in like September. So um, yeah, I think so for me, I could sound basically just this thing where you have to choose one quarter of your senior year to intern somewhere and it's accredited internship, which I think is kind of like how Drexel does it, but it's for you, it's longer term. Ours is only like three months. So I chose that the final quarter of my uh, senior year would be my internship. And I kind of did that intentionally because I knew that the chances of me being hired would be higher if I was basically doing like a seamless run right into the summer, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'll just wrap up school, get all of my portfolio done. And then all I'll have to do is focus on this internship. And I knew I wanted to intern in New York. and. At the time, I don't think Kutztown had any, like, direct openings, because what's really cool about Kutztown is that they have, like, basically a list where they set you up with an internship. Like, you don't even oh, have to look. awesome. Yeah, it's really great. So you can put, like, your top few of the list and then go from there, and they try to connect you based on, like, your work or your personality, et cetera. But for me, I really wanted to go to New York again, and so I think I applied, and this was in the fall, I applied to 40 companies which some people would be like, that's not that many. <laughs> but it felt like a lot at the time because I was doing so many courses and then emailing, emailing. And I was like, I don't know if I would recommend this to people really, but I was cold calling places. <laughs> like I would just call up like probably. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I would call up like Pentagram, which <laughs> honestly probably wouldn't work, but I got very <laughs> lucky with one company. So of all 40, only one company got back to me and they were a VEC and they were a small studio on Canal Street in New York in Chinatown. And they were like, someone answered the phone. They were like, you know what? Actually just come in and have an interview. And I don't even know if they were looking at the time, but I went in, I like got on the bus, Transbridge lines, shout out to Transbridge. <laughs> and I went up and 
talked to them and it went really well and they took me on for the internship so like in a few months I would have been able to go and start interning with them and it was a women-led studio which I loved and I have like forever friends from that studio and I'm so grateful for the time I had there um but I actually commuted from Bethlehem to New York City every single day for oh my gosh which was crazy but I didn't really have the money to sublet and truly now that I know the weeds of like New York City housing I could maybe have swung it but the bus was like $500 a month and I was like I'm just gonna do this it's three months and then it's over right like yeah yeah whatever and it was like three hours each way and I just like I actually love the bus now I just like (laughs) can sit on the bus and like read or do whatever so um, all the Stockholm syndrome (laughs) yeah exactly um (laughs) But yeah, so then, like, fortunately, at the end of that, they hired me. And so after all that commuting, I was like, oh, this was worth it. (laughs) Um, And so I worked there for like two years. But yeah, I mean, I'm lucky because most people don't end up leaving with that sort of situation, especially now. I can't imagine graduating in a pandemic, what that's like. But I mean, I think it's really cool for you that you're doing your own thing. That's really challenging. And for a lot of people, a big risk, but you're going to be able to do it so well. You're like saying that you're going all in. I think a lot of people are kind of like, maybe I'll like half do this, but you've got like the website, like the details. Um, So it's really cool to see you going in a very, I, I would say definitely a more rare direction than most people when they leave school, because people usually go right into a company or a studio, but um, doing your own thing is awesome too. Thank you. I, uh, I, I I have to um credit like the people that uh were like the role models for me um that taught me that this was even an option um uh in in web design uh and web development there's like it's like a totally different beast uh to to uh tackle and so like uh Rand Segal who's um a, a developer in uh, Tel Aviv um he has these YouTube videos and and really showed me that like it's possible and this is how you can do it and like this is how you can run your business and everything like that and um and Alex Faluso she's a she's a writer but she really talks about freelancing and like like the logistics behind it and and just like so much more education and understanding it that um those those two people really uh showed me the way of like yeah it is possible like try it out like who who knows you can you can go and and be normal later but uh if you're young and and nobody's depending on you like take a risk you're not going to be able to take that risk later and um and I'm so grateful for that so so yeah I um I'm actually uh, really excited cuz I have a, a a client uh check coming in the mail and so I'm probably going to have a good little <laughs> little like party at my front door when it arrives but amazing. <laughs> congratulations it's always so great to get those because for so long you're just like working 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 and then all of a sudden this little piece of paper arrives in the mail and you're like oh yeah I get this too amazing <laughs> <laughs> yes so so you were working at a vec that was like your first real full-time living in New York and everything like that what what lessons did you take from from working there and and like I, I this is kind of personal but like do you still have friends from there that you you keep in touch with like like 
what impact did that job uh, have on your life? It was two two years of your life, but uh, what do you remember about it? Yeah, so I think what's so, I mean, what was so great for me about Avec is that a lot of people from schools in New York City or from big schools throughout the country already have experience interning or working at a really fast-paced New York agency. And I didn't have that yet. And they were very willing to sort of work with me and help me learn, you know, about pacing and about how to do bigger branding projects. And they were just so, like, kind and patient with me throughout this, like, first year of my design career. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, I keep in touch with everybody that I worked with and um, I have seriously like lifelong friends from working there. And it was so cool to leave school and work at a small studio because I had, I guess, sort of a good experience doing everything at the studio. So that can mean like um, working on the projects, but also like learning about studio maintenance and how the business runs and you get to see like the owner of the studio and how they operate, which is kind of rare. Like you don't really get to see that at bigger companies. So being young and understanding how a small studio can work was really awesome. Um, and yeah, we were just like, it, it was so amazing. Like we, I, I was introduced to New York city restaurants. Like my <laughs> boss loved to try different foods. So we went out to eat and I like, Growing up in Pennsylvania, for me personally, I didn't get to try that many, like, <laughs> I guess, um, less typical American foods. Um, and so it what, was. We had really... pierogies. Yeah. <laughs> pierogies. Yeah. Like, I don't even, what's that brand of like microwave pierogies? I used to have them all the time. Oh, um, uh, Mrs. T's. Yeah. Mrs. Yes. T's. <laughs> they were at like um, every swim meet, every football game. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh my god. Yeah, but um yeah, so it was just really cool to have this like New York experience with people who were just like very willing to sort of introduce me to the city and um there was another designer there named Corey who was my age and she had come from Ohio and it was just so nice to be with someone who wasn't from the city and <laughs> sort of explore together and so yeah, it was it was great and I mean, I just really learned like how to be a designer there of course in school you can learn how to be a designer in some ways but how to be a designer in the real world was I mean it's hard it's different than school and it's a big learning curve even if you know the skills and you're talented or whatever um they were just really instrumental in helping me get to where I am now and so yeah I'm forever grateful for them I love Avec <laughs> they're in LA now so Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so they're not in New York anymore, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, they're they're Californian now. <laughs> oh, they got tired of the snow? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, the owner is originally from California, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, she wanted to return to the homeland. That's pretty funny. So, yeah. uh, before we talk about uh, Pentagram, was, um, the, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but, uh, uh, in your first real job, uh, there's a learning curve. There's uh, all these things, you, all these situations that you weren't in before, and you kind of have to just like wing it sometimes, or or asking people for advice. 
were there any bumps that you hit? Because when I had my first job, um, my first internship, I kind of consider it a first job because it was like six months and you actually got to um, uh, have screw-ups and, and fix them and people uh, had you for six months so they wanted to invest that time in you and, and like making you fix whatever you're doing wrong that you don't know. Like, did you have any moments where um, uh, like you had to be vulnerable and like, ask for help or um uh say hey i I don't know everything but that's okay like what was that like for you yeah absolutely and i think being able to acknowledge when you're in a situation like that when you're starting out is so key because i think a lot of times i was sitting there and i was like i really don't know what to do or i feel really out of ideas and i think that's normal when you're starting out like now I, I can be in a design situation and say, oh yeah, like five years ago, I would have been really, really stuck here, but experience sort of lends itself to opening up more and having, you know, a little bit more of an idea of how to handle situations. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's really hard when you're surrounded by really talented people and you just see them solving problems and coming up with solutions really fast. And maybe you're working on the same thing that they are and you see them come up with just like the most amazing thing. And you're like, oh man, I really missed the mark. But I think it's really just about like stopping and acknowledging, you know, like that was hard and I feel disappointed, but you know what? That's really just part of the process. And even now I have situations like that where I'm, you know, getting close to five years into my career. Actually, maybe I'm over that. And I still run into things where I'm like, wow, I really am stuck here. And I think a lot of times it's about, like you just said, acknowledging and saying that and asking for help or even just asking to discuss with someone. Like one of the things that I missed about the office here is just being like, hey, like to a designer or an art director or whatever, can you just like look at this and talk about it? Like, am I going the right way? Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the best thing you can do is just try your best. If it's something that you don't think is right, still try it. Uh, It might be an unexpected solution. Um, And yeah, just giving it your all, even if you know it might not be the right thing, and then talking to people about it or trying to figure it out with other people. I think people don't realize how um, wonderful designers can be when it comes to that because everybody has been there before. And so mentors and even peers, I think, are more than willing to understand a situation you might be in that's tough and try to figure it out with you. And even just a five minute discussion sometimes can just like open the doors massively and get you to where you need to be in terms of like figuring something out. So, yeah, there were a lot of times where I felt really defeated or like I didn't do the ask properly, but I think everyone knew that I was trying my best and that I was okay at taking the feedback, even if it wasn't good, even if it was like, yeah, this isn't right, or you didn't quite do this right. I think it's about when you leave, just stopping and saying, okay, I'm going to learn from this and move on to the next thing, which, you know, you always say that, but it's easier said than done. So um, yeah, definitely vulnerable moments. I feel like that, that vulnerability, um, has a lot to do with like humility and and being brave to actually say hey I need help or like I don't know what's going on right now because I, I I've been in meetings before where they were saying a bunch of stuff and I was like 
I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> yeah. You're all using like inside uh not inside jokes, but like inside terms. Like I have no idea what that abbreviation means. Can you please tell me? Yeah. And it makes you, I think, um like from like a um employer a, a manager perspective, it makes you a lot more approachable for them to course correct you and uh I think that that makes you more likable if if you don't have this uh, this ego or this um kind of like barrier uh when people try to um say hey you might not be doing the right thing let's do this instead totally <laughs> so? yeah and I mean ego is just the worst thing that you can come in with especially when you're young or you just graduated or it's your first job like nobody likes an ego and I see it a lot and I think it's because people are worried that they're gonna be wrong and like that's sort of it's it's just like how people react I think to different situations but people are afraid of being wrong and so they put on an all-knowing face and mm. that just doesn't really fly well <laughs> when you're working with someone for the first time so yeah, I think what you're saying is totally on point. Just stop and ask. Like, they had to learn it at some point, and there's a lot of design lingo, and there's a lot of specific processes that people have when you go somewhere new, and so it's about stopping and asking, and people are almost always more than willing to help and explain or work with you. Absolutely. And so so you're at Avec, and you're coming up at two years. Um, it's from From the way that you're describing it to me, you enjoyed your time there. Um, you loved the people that you were working with. What in you decided, this has been a really great experience. I learned so much and I was nurtured here in my first job. I'm ready to do the next thing. Like, like, how did that come up? Did you see the opening at Pentagram? Did you, was it someplace that you always wanted to work? Like, how, how did that happen? Yeah. So interestingly, they had decided that summer that they were going to move to California. And oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I do think there was an option to sort of work remote from New York still, or at least for a temporary amount of time. But I think at that point, I was kind of ready to still be working with people directly in person, mm. especially because I was only two years, two and a half years out, whatever it was. Um, and so I was kind of ready to look for the next thing. And I, I got very lucky. I wasn't actively looking, but um, I had like through, I think two people, someone had mentioned an internship at Pentagram. And even though I was two and a half years out of school, I would not recommend <laughs> taking an internship after, but like a lot of people are very excited about Pentagram. And so I was willing to sort of take this like internship level job again but it was almost like taking a step back kind of to take a risk it is and I mean that's I mean it's hard because internships are usually less money so I mean I, I would have had to have figured it out but thankfully when I went the people that I interviewed who are currently the people that I work with um they were like you have experience you should be a freelancer which was just like amazing <laughs> um mm. and so I interviewed with them like while Avec was still like three months away from transitioning to LA and then very quickly it all sort of worked out and I think I had like two interviews there one with the design team or like a few people from the design team and then um, Eddie who is the partner that I work for currently. So 
if that's how that that happened what was your first week like just <laughs> super curious like I, I remember when i walked into that studio when you invited me there i was like holy huh this is a real place like they actually like eat food here and they <laughs> there's posters and uh, like these are their offices i went down the stairs with you and i just saw like what to me seemed like a sea of designers and i was like whoa and so if that was how i felt just being there for like an hour i can only imagine like what it was like for you just in that first week yeah i mean thinking back it was a really crazy first week not necessarily in the sense of the work but just like the feeling of walking in there because I mean I never ever imagined that I would work there and this like crazy interview scenario just like worked out I was so lucky and so I remember going in like wanting to be so early and like (laughs) be so on my game and like I was actually brought on to work for a company called Color & Co, which is a company owned by L'Oreal, and they do hair dye, but what's cool about them is that you can, like, call in and have a consultation for free, and they'll help you determine, like, what sort of hair dye is best for your hair in its current state, which is really cool. Um, And so I was helping them out with this project, which they had already branded, but they needed to execute a lot of different, like, little assets. Um, and so the first thing I worked on, I think was like, I think it was a condition, a conditioner tube, which ironically literally just launched like a month ago and it's been really three years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously I didn't work on it for the whole three years, but, um, yeah, I was like, we got to rush this project. It's going to be, <laughs> and I'm like, like, Oh, three years later, there it is. Um, but yeah, I was like, Oh my gosh, like all of these people are so like, they're working so well. Everything on everyone's screen is so beautiful. I was very intimidated and (laughs) I was sort of ready for people to be very like intense or very um, like I, I kind of assumed people would have an ego, but I actually found that people are just so nice there and I've made so many good friends and a lot of people that work there are my age or like living in Brooklyn and so I was very lucky to make just like so many amazing humble friends um but yeah I was like on my game and then fortunately (laughs) after that I really wanted to be put on another project so that I could continue working there and I got to work on a project for Lululemon which was our client at the time and I was the sole person on that project and I was coming in at like 5 30 in the morning for a month because I was so afraid that I would mess up <laughs> and I would like arrive at the lo- the guy at the Starbucks like knew me I would arrive there get like a juice and a coffee and just like go in and like work like as much as I could before people got in which looking back was so unnecessary like I did not <laughs> be doing that that was just like me trying to overcompensate for being afraid that I was like not quite up to speed and there was I will say, like, when I started there, there was a lot for me to learn. Like, I was Mm. not, um, I wasn't as fast as the other designers. And um, I I just, like, didn't understand the process solely because I was new. So it was just, like, learning how Eddie works, how the team functions. um, And so I was trying to sort of, like, keep up. And then, thankfully, after a year there of freelancing, I was hired full time. 
And now I work on a bunch of different projects, which is amazing. So I was very lucky to work there. And now I'm not going in at 5.30 in the morning anymore. <laughs> in fact, I arrive probably at like 10, which is our start time, which is awesome. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's a very New York thing. I found that people start that late. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's sort of the um, intro to pentagram journey story for me. That's that's interesting. So that was kind of like how your first period of time was. And if you don't want to talk about this on the podcast, it's fine. Um, I'm just curious. Uh, I I so my first introduction to uh pentagram was um actually by accident. So my mm-hmm. whole introduction to graphic design also by accident. So. What happened was, and I don't know if you spending time at SVA, you might know who she is, but um, uh, I got into all of this by listening to podcasts. I first listened to like the TED Talk podcast because I could like do it while I was doing chores, vacuuming, like just mm-hmm. random stuff around the house that is just to to be entertained while you do it. And I realized, oh, there's other podcasts out there, and this was like maybe 2009 2008 or something like that and i saw this podcast called design matters um by debbie millman um and i uh i really liked the way that she talked to people the way that she like got information out of people and not like in a interrogation way but like she like (laughs) people really opened up to her and and she was so charismatic and kind and she was a graphic designer but now she she worked full time on this podcast the first one i ever listened to um just randomly was michael beirut's and mm-hmm. his story about graphic design and and everything like that I, I just like opened my eyes to it and so when i was able to listen to eddie's episode um it was really interesting to like learn more about him and um then i i watched a a lecture that he did and i looked at some of his work i looked at his bio page he seems like a really interesting character what is it like to work for him (laughs) (laughs) it yeah i'm more than happy to answer this in the podcast um eddie is amazing and i'm very lucky to work for him he is seriously like definitely a unique character and his approach to design is not really like anyone else's that I've met or heard of and just to go back to design matters I love design matters in school (laughs) so much and I probably listened to Eddie's podcast without thinking that I was ever going to work for him one day um and I'm sure I listened to Michael's as well but yeah I mean Debbie Millman I remember just being like oh you sort of like not to use an overused word but you humanize design like People mm. have experiences that influence their work, and this is really cool. So, um, but yeah, working for Eddie, I think what's so awesome about working for him is that we're very, very experimental on our team. Eddie says that we live in a postmodern, modernist world, which I love, <laughs> and so we're not as tied to like typical graphic design grids or standards. We're sort of moving out of this like what was built by like white men standards and moving into like, you know, what is design now? Like what does design look like for everybody? Like Mm. what does a diverse field look like? And what does the work from that look like? Um, And so it's been amazing to work for him. And he really, really lets us as designers um, not 
necessarily take the lead. He's definitely in charge, but we make a lot of stuff and he doesn't overly make it his. He really embraces what we do and he tries to make it come together and work in a system. And I think what I love about our team is that we don't necessarily have a look or feel that we're striving for. I think Eddie definitely does have like a specific type of clientele, a lot of technology related clients. Um, but we're always making something that's best suited for the client rather than what we're necessarily trying to make look like what we mm. want, even though we always want it to look really awesome and really fresh and new and whatever the words are that we're using for the brand that we're working with. Um, but he's very, very open-minded and flexible and he has a lot of interesting takes on design. Um, he, he actually wrote a book on colors, so he knows a lot about color theory, which is really cool. And we make a lot of very colorful brands, um, which a lot of agencies don't do as much. And I love, um, so yeah, it's really awesome to work for him. And, um, a lot of his team members have been working for him for a very long time in contrast to a lot of the other teams at Pentagram. And so it feels like we have a little family dynamic and everybody knows each other really well. And, we always have really awesome interns coming in and out. So um, yeah, it's it's been a really amazing journey. And what's so great about him is that I, I never feel like I'm stopping pushing myself or learning. And I think even the most experienced people on the team can say that we're always trying something new or pushing typical design boundaries. And so yeah, for that all, I'm very grateful. And it's just been an amazing last two and a half years. I love the sound of your voice when you say that. Like the, <laughs> the you're like so excited and and happy and and like you sound like inspired. I is there something that he does that you've you've taken as like a lesson in leadership on like how to motivate a team and how to make people feel like they're heard and that they're part of the team and that they're not just like taking orders like is there anything that you've learned from him yeah I think first of all we get a lot of time to work on our own and explore on our own um, and so there's a lot of time to kind of do what you individually think would be interesting or right and there's a lot of acknowledgement of the things that you individually make or do like Eddie really listens to each person's workflow and each person's sort of outcome when we show work together um, but it's definitely still a collaborative effort where everybody gets a say and where everyone feels like they're part of a big discussion and Eddie always is saying and I'm sure you've like heard from his podcast he's always just saying like interesting unexpected things so <laughs> we always sort of take the work in that direction I think um, but yeah and I think his leadership style I think there are a lot of design leaders who can be very intense or put a lot of pressures on their team and we really like Eddie really doesn't make that happen I, I always feel like we're gonna work together to make something rather than I work for you to make you know whatever you need at all times and like it like it feels very much like he is the boss and he has the final say for sure but it feels like he wants to work with us to make something together which is just like the best thing about working for somebody especially when you're young you know you get a lot of 
um, time to actually design and make things that might be acknowledged or used. Like we've had interns make logos, which is so awesome and crazy, but like you can be like still, I don't know, like 20 years old in the middle of school and like Eddie will acknowledge your work as much as the associate partners on our team, which is really awesome. It's not so, like you're any less, you know? It's a really, uh, do you feel like everything is really merit-based? Like if you're good, you can be here. It's not like if you know someone or anything like that in some other industries, you think it's like really merit-based? So I think it depends like when we're talking about getting in the door to our team. I think we're talking a lot more about being less word of mouth and trying to have more open application um, when it comes to coming to Pentagram or our team. Um, because right now it really is word of mouth and it's knowing people. And oftentimes that's going to like some big New York City school. And we want to be a little bit more flexible and open about that and open the door to people who might not have some kind of special connection to Pentagram. Um, but I think once you're on the team or like you're interning and Eddie could be looking to hire, I think it's equally the quality of your work or your efforts, but also are you a nice human who can be communicative and um, do you have an opinion that you like to offer? And are you just like, honestly, I've heard a lot of people say, are you just like normal? Like, are you not trying to push an ego? <laughs> Seriously, because we have a lot of people, like not personally on my team, like I haven't, like all of our interns have been great, but I know a lot of people with um, like- I heard stories. Hire, yeah, like you have someone who comes in and they're like super confident, which is, amazing i shouldn't actually say that confidence is great but there's an extent to where it's like okay Hockey. yeah totally and so that's like we try to avoid that i think and so just having like normal people who are willing to learn are excited about the work and are willing to put in the time and effort to make something um collaborative is what we're looking for that's great so speaking of weird things eddie says um <laughs> you didn't say it exactly like that but um there there was a certain phrase that he said that I kept on trying to replay and I was trying to understand what it meant. Um okay. I don't know if he's ever said this to you and you might not be able to answer this but uh he said never finish what you start. Have you ever heard him say that ever before? I think he has mentioned like he does say things in that vein and I am not Eddie so I cannot interpret this exactly how he might um but I think what he's saying is that when you make something whatever it might be in design it sort of has a life outside of this mm. little pro like few months we might spend with it and so I think on like a project an individual project basis he would say to think about it that way you know like what is this thing after it has a logo, you know, like how can it become more or breathe more, but maybe on a bigger scale, he means, you know, with your personal career trajectory, like what are the things that you're making? How do they extend outside of just like a piece of design, you know, like what are you trying to say with your work and your life and the things that you make? Um, 
But yeah, I'll have to ask him about that, actually. I could be very <laughs> off the mark. <laughs> yeah, I, I always think it's really interesting when when people have, like, when people say phrases and I don't understand and then I, I take a while to try to, like, think over in my head what they're trying to say and then it makes sense, like, it clicks. But I see what you mean, like, um, that uh, I remember... I, I don't remember if this was the, the Debbie Millman podcast or another one, but I remember hearing Paula Scher talking about how um, uh, she felt like she had a, a love affair with the, um, oh, what was the name of the theater? The, oh, the public. The yes. The, and she, uh, and how she was constantly like trying to tweak and, and adjust and making it work. And what I get from it, from the way that you described it is like, just always like never just being complacent with something just because it's done and like understanding there's a there's a boundary of like i finished this project i'm handing it back like deadlines exist for a reason but like being really curious in 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 finding different ways to look at something and always improving because you from 10 years ago uh might have had one way to solve a problem than than you now so that's kind of how how I see it, but I'm gonna be curious if you actually talk to him and he has a totally different meaning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know they they all have such like awesome things that I say. I know with Paula and the public theater, like for example, I haven't worked with that client because that's specific to her team, but like it takes a client like that to let you experiment in that way, and they've been given just so much freedom to make these beautiful, amazing posters that as you're saying, like just push the boundaries or let you create and explore for years and years. So yeah, it's, I mean, that project is just amazing. But yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shoot you an email. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him that you asked and he can clarify. <laughs> Absolutely. So the, the other thing that he said that really touched a nerve with me, like I, I really related to it was when he talked about graphic design being a combination of logic and art and the entire time it's tough to admit it but um the entire time I was in graphic design in school I I um I felt the way that I was doing it something was was missing I had this like weird um discomfort with things being like all art like all subjective and um I totally bombed my uh what's it called my interview with Yale when I was in high school because the the guy um was talking to me about graphic design and he said so when you do these things for these people that you're volunteering for in high school how do you know if they're successful like how do you measure that and I had no answer for that I I just like looked at him and I was like okay I guess this is over And but like it, it still stuck with me, even though it was a conversation I had like what like six years ago or something like that. And and uh, the way that he said it, like it's a combination of logic and art. That's exactly how I felt when I started going into web design because I got introduced to like usability testing and like having your decisions be like more data driven and like and doing a lot more to try to find evidence for what you do and you can do that with with testing with graphic design and and like 
I mean, that's not exactly what Eddie was talking about, but when when you think about that phrase like graphic design is a combination between logic and art, like what do you think of when I say that? Yeah, well, first of all, I can see why if that's up your alley, you would fall into things like UX and UI because it definitely is logic and thought heavy. I mean, you're literally thinking about like where to place things so that they will function at their maximum capacity, right? Um, and also awesome that you had an interview at Yale. That's impressive. And <laughs> if you couldn't answer the question. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like for us, and this is from a branding specific perspective, I would say um, a lot of what we do is strategy heavy. And that's something that a lot of the teams at Pentagram do, but I know specifically Eddie is very strategy heavy and a lot of other like large branding firms will do a ton of strategy work, even small, I shouldn't say large. Um, but I think what it means is that when we make design decisions, they all need a rationale. And so if that's like the color palette, if that's the way that the logo is drawn, if that's, you know, tying in from a visual perspective, the things that we say about the brand at the start of the project when we're just writing and looking at words and what words should be associated with this brand that we're about to make um how does how do we ensure that the visuals that we create sort of what you think of as graphic design right tie into that so that's sort of the logic right like why did we make this blue? Why did we put this type in this corner? Like there should be, and I think to some extent, like you don't need to explain every single thing, but there should be some sort of thought or meaning to every core part of a brand, whether that's your layout grid or um, the placement of your color palette. Like what's the ratio of the bright colors you're going to use to the neutral colors um, and so there's a lot of that thinking. And when we start a project, we usually hire a strategist that we work with a lot. Um, she's amazing. Her name is Sandra Marcel, and she runs a company called Design Minded. And she's just like so brilliant. And she comes in and we sit with her and we interview clients a lot. And we talk to them for sometimes like up to 20 hours. We'll do interviews. Wow. And yeah. And, and she's much more heavily involved in that than I am being a designer, but we basically work with her to come together and say, okay, based on all of this and what this brand is saying they want to be and what they have been in their history, how do we define now what they will be as we go through with this rebrand? And so that can mean like literal individual words, like what are your brand pillars as you call them? Like the things that you say that you are at your core or what are what what's the way that you write like how do you say the things that you want to put into the world what's your personality are you friendly are you uh sophisticated are you luxurious whatever those are like very basic words um but i think then designing with logic is saying like okay we've made all of these things that we've agreed on with the client like how to speak and how to put yourself out there how do we make sure when we make like all of these visual assets that they can always, always, always tie back into these words or this way of writing and speaking. So that's what I think Eddie would mean when he says that he's tying in logic. And I mean, I think most designers would agree that have done a lot of like work trying to make branding with a lot of strategy in the background. And 
I much prefer to work heavily with strategists because I think when you don't do that, you really are opening yourself up to a very like vague world. Like there's just kind of a void of like, we can make anything. But when you have all of these words and um, this sort of established foundation for the brand, you can much more easily guide yourself when you're designing or making actual like tangible visuals. When, when you're talking about this, I imagine like, uh, I, I used to like look at people's brand books, um, cause I think they're just really beautiful a lot of the time, uh, especially ones that are done by, uh, by places like Pentagram, uh, as well as, uh, I don't know, I just like looking at like the PDFs online and stuff like that. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, there's so much work that goes into that of like, just, just, just slowing down and just thinking like what what do you guys want to do here <laughs> yeah like cuz sometimes people have been just like running so fast and and rushing into things that like they hadn't reevaluated that question in years of like what what's your purpose here like what do you what do you want to project to your customers who do you want your customers to be like these are all questions that i had to relearn when I moved into web design of like, like, what's the goal of this site? Like, how do you get people to come here? Like all of these, these different things that are, are, are really important and uh, just slowing down and, and thinking about the things that, that that woman uh, works with you on. And it's just, I don't know, there's just so many different things when it comes to like copywriting and um, color theory and, uh, I don't know, just general organization of like how the business functions. That's so interesting to me to tackle before you even go anywhere further with that. So I think that it's so neat that you guys work with her and, and that I'm guessing that makes a big impact on the success of your projects. Yeah, it really does. And I think it gives clients a lot of comfort because like you're saying, they might not have asked themselves these questions in years or they may have never asked themselves these questions, or if they're a new project or a new brand or whatever it might be, they might have to sit down and actually think about defining these things for the very first time. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of it really, I mean, a lot of what we do really leans heavily on that work, which is not something I expected in school. It's definitely um, a really nice uh, way to sort of go into projects and. Um, basically design so we talked about you with your uh your toy cars we talked (laughs) about you in in high school going to kutztown your internships at crayola and uh, sports illustrated as well as all the other ones that you've done uh during that time period um we talked about um going to avec for those ridiculously long car like bus rides working there <laughs> and then going to Pentagram when Avec uh, moved to the other side of the country um i i kind of want to talk about some of these passion projects that you have going on because um they sound really interesting and i don't know where they were on this timeline um but at least i saw that um you go back and i might be wrong you go back to uh kutztown 
to like run these events and there's like fundraising going on there was a a um, cheerleading event in new york that you that was a fundraising event i'm pretty sure you foster dogs you also have this program called resource research and i don't know if i think you saw that i followed you on instagram <laughs> oh yeah yep i did see that <laughs> so like so in your your career we, we we can see how you came to this point but like what's going on in the background with you <laughs> Yeah, so you're making it sound like I do a lot. Um, <laughs> this is over the course of like several years, I would say. <laughs> so I'm not that busy. I actually spend a lot of uh, way too much time like playing video games afterward. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so for personal projects, I was lucky that during the pandemic, I had extra free time and um, I felt like I wanted to use some of that to do some things that I had been thinking about for a while. And there were two design projects. So the first ones that, and I think I started this like pre-pandemic, but I kind of just continued into it. Um, I redesigned books that I had read the previous year, just because I was interested in book cover design. And I kind of missed having like sort of a specific canvas like a, a specific like white page size to work with and make whatever I want it with and I liked having um I, I like stories a lot and I like designing from like stories and experiences and things that I take in a lot of and a book is definitely an example of that um and so I redesigned a bunch of book covers for fun and it was just like a fun way to sort of explore um you know like my personal design work and um, what I can make on my own, which I hadn't done in a really long time. And I was lucky enough to work with Peter Mendelssohn, who's like one of my all-time favorite designers. He does book covers and now he works at The Atlantic. Um, but he like called me and did um, critiques of my work. And I was really lucky to get to work with him and some of his colleagues. So um, that was a really fun project. And then, yeah, the other one is Resource Resource, which is more recent. And I had like some moment somewhere in the spring where I realized like I really need to start learning about sustainability and design because I really didn't know anything at all about it. And I was looking for projects that I could reference and ways that I could learn about how to be more sustainable in my job. Um, because I think that as designers and a million designers have said this, I'm not the first, but that we have so much control over materials that are chosen and about the way that clients go about creating physical products, even sometimes digital. The digital world can have energy consumption too, right? So like thinking about that and I could barely find anything. There were a few blogs that I could reference, but I was like, you know what? A cool project would be just to like create a website that collects all of these things and showcases them and highlights them. and through that, my, my whole goal was basically that there would be this pool of work that people could reference, but also that people might feel celebrated. So if someone comes out with a new project that I could feature it and maybe, especially for designers who are maybe like individuals or doing their own work that they might feel realized or recognized for doing sustainable work, because I think that's a huge part of getting people to do more sustainable work is giving them recognition for the, the work that they're doing because it's hard to make things that are sustainable. It's not the way that we work currently, normally mm. anyway. 
Um, and so I made just like this little site that you can follow and like an Instagram account that you can follow along for updates. And I, I try to post one every week, but I'm not always very reliable in that area. So, um, yeah. And if somebody wants to find it, it's just the word resource, R-E-S-O-U-R-C-E, and then just that word twice. <laughs> so yeah, the, so, the website is, I think it's like resource-resource.co. And then on Instagram, it's, yeah, it's resource, resource. So I'll make yeah. sure to add that into like the show notes so people can click on it if they're oh, listening. Amazing. Thank you. So you, you felt like there wasn't a lot of information out there. And so based on like, just like, a user test or some of me going on the website for a couple of minutes and checking it out. It it sounds like you, you post um, a, a really neat example um, of uh, sustainable design. And I, I was personally interested in the Barbie one. Could you tell me a little bit about <laughs> yeah. that? Just cause I saw Barbie and I was like, that's not exactly what I think of when I think of sustainable. <laughs> so I'm curious about the story. Yeah, so I mean, I just read somewhere that Barbie put out a product that the actual Barbie doll and the things that you get with her, which is like, I think some kind of like, beach, like, I don't know if you like are supposed to sell things at it when you play or what, but basically it's like a little beach set. And it's like made of 90% recyclable materials, which is just like a prime example of that's more so a bigger company making a really important big shift. And, like, imagine if the millions of Barbies that are produced every year are either made from recyclable material or composted or compostable. That would be, like, so awesome um, and just be such a shift in the amount of waste that we put into the world. So when big companies do things, I get excited because that's where, you know, most people are actually buying materials or purchasing products that have an impact on the environment and um, so yeah, I was excited to feature that, but like it can range from the Barbie work to, um, there was like a group of students in Europe that made this amazing data set on, um, how the top 10% richest people are responsible for most of, um, I think the carbon emissions in the world and that they also have the money to reverse most of climate change. And so uh-huh. even just putting out like information like that that makes people think or realize something even if it's not an actual like product or recyclable thing um is equally important and so I'm trying to sort of collect and learn about things that people are doing that are interesting in that way and then I also am trying to create there's a a resources page that I try to add to but books if people are interested there's so many amazing zoom talks um there's a company called Sway that I love and it's a ex-graphic designer and her partner who are trying to make more sustainable materials from seaweed and they just know so much and there's another studio called Little Fox Design who just are so knowledgeable about materials and trying to get clients to be more sustainable and they offer a course that's $300 which for a course like that is a very very good price and they have a zoom talk that i have linked on the website as well on resource resource that's definitely worth watching for any designer um, who cares about the environment and wants to learn about making that sort of shift so yeah it's sort of a hodgepodge of like um yeah showcasing projects but also trying to offer resources that people can learn from so where did this passion of yours come from was this always there or did you did did you start feeling this in college or 
when you move to New York and there's like one park <laughs> and everything else. Because I remember living in New York and I think the one thing that was, I, I, I had a, still have a boyfriend in Philly and I would visit him um, and I was like, it's so nice to be back. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because I have direct sunlight. Yeah, there's like <laughs> trees here. <laughs> so, so what? Uh, what was it? Was there like a book you read? I'm just curious because you seem really passionate about it. Actually, it was just that I started to make things. Like I started mm. in my jobs to make bottles and tubes and all sorts of things where we were like working with vendors to export like tons of them. And I was like, I'm responsible right now for choosing these materials that could have a huge impact. And I really don't know what I'm doing. And a lot of times print vendors, unless they specialize in environmentally friendly materials, they don't really know like what's recyclable or they'll say something's recyclable, but it's actually not that recyclable. Or mm. they'll say it's made from recyclable materials, but it's only like 10% from recyclable materials. And so Little Fox's class and talks go into that a lot and help you understand um, like how to interpret those things or to look for the right things when you're choosing materials. But I, I hate to say it, but it sort of was like guilt. Like I was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, like I'm sending this thing to print single handedly. And like I could have chosen maybe a better material here. And now 10,000 people are going to like make waste because I didn't know which <laughs> bottle to choose. And just thinking about like as I go ahead in the design world and I make more things because if I stay in design, of course, I'm going to continue to make products and packaging and whatever pieces of paper that are printed on. Um, like how better can I produce these things or how better can I um, start to normalize? And especially somewhere at Pentagram, like if Pentagram starts to do it or a studio that people know the name of, maybe other people will start to pick up on that or think, oh, wow, like they pulled it off for this client. Maybe we should look into that. So, um, and on an individual level. So, yeah, I think that's sort of where it stemmed from. It wasn't something that I really thought too much about until this year because I had made a bunch of packaging projects this year. So, um, yeah, that's where that sort of all started. How do you feel about um, the making things that um, are to be used, are designed well, look beautiful, but kind of have a specified lifetime does that does is that ever interesting to you because um i remember making things like posters and flyers and stuff like that and i remember just feeling a little bummed when i knew that this thing that i i worked a really long time on is only going to be used for like a month or so uh Mm -hmm. and then uh is going to serve its purpose and the term of life is going to be done. Do you ever think about that? Yeah. And I think a lot of the dialogue right now for people who are designers and are interested in sustainability are talking about that. And I think there's two ways you can look at it, right? Like one way is that we're human beings and we're going to make things and we like to make art and we like to make physical things. And that's just part of being human, right? Like people have made things that they love to create for ages and ages, like probably since the beginning of humanity. And so that's naturally just going to be a part of how we progress. I think there are ways to continue to make things super sustainably. Like now you can make a poster from like hemp, which only takes a few months to grow. 
and you can use ink that's sustainable and doesn't harm the environment. And so I think if it's like the case of, okay, I'm going to make this or this client really wants to make this, the answer is how best can I make this at the end of the day for the environment? How can I best make this sustainable? But I also think like we're running into clients right now who want to rethink their product a little bit. And if it's a physical product, I think it's always worth having a discussion about what's really necessary to make and what's necessary to keep. And so like if it's a, for example, a subscription box, right? Like when you open a subscription box, there's going to be little informational pamphlets that whatever the product is, is going to have to be packaged a certain way, often with like legal restrictions, if it's like a liquid or whatever. And so I think it's really great to say to a client, okay, let's maybe like reassess this box and say, how can we best like seal wrap this? How can we reduce the things that you're putting out? Do you really need these stickers? Do you really need this pamphlet? Okay, you do. Let's make it out of this material that's really environmentally friendly. Um, and actually, like, I think personally, I don't have the data on this, but I think that as a younger generation comes in and starts to buy things, they're totally looking for that. And I think it's kind of a selling point if you're making things that are less wasteful. People feel bad throwing stuff away. So like if mm. there's unnecessary packaging people are kind of less likely to want to buy your product again. Or it's just, it's a shame that with the purchase, you have a feeling of guilt, right? Like it would be amazing if you bought something and it was so sustainable that you had almost zero waste from it. So I think there's going to be a bit of a shift from what consumers want to, which is really the driving force and going to be a huge impact. Absolutely. I th I remember uh, feeling really awkward one time when I went over to my friend's house and, um, uh, her mom was uh, taking some stuff out of this like uh, meal subscription box and like everything was like pre-portioned and every single thing was like wrapped in as like almost to like a comedic level of the amount of plastic that, yeah. that was being used. And like yeah. she she was like cutting them all open, putting them into the bowl and everything. And then she had just like this pile of just empty plastic bags and then she just threw them all out. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people, especially like a younger generation that's very aware of climate change, and not to say, I think there are people of all ages, of course, that are interested, but I think there's going to be a push to reduce that. I mean, sometimes you buy something and there's more waste than there is of the actual product. And it's like, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and you like, uh, there's like some people, they feel like defeated because, uh, there's also like this thing of like, sometimes you see, uh, uh, people taking out your trash and they also take your recycling and put it in the same truck and you're like no like I, yeah. I just, and then uh, like a couple uh, weeks ago um i live in philly and somebody stole my recycling bin and i had to order a new one and oh so that happens too but like but uh um but yeah so it's it's all really interesting i i had a conversation specifically about hemp one time um with my friend uh Ben Dellen uh we I had a podcast with him earlier and he was talking to me about um the benefits of hemp for uh for clothing and that it's actually like antimicrobial and takes so much less water than cotton and and uh it's just crazy that people aren't using it um and so we were also talking about tidal energy versus solar energy like there's so many really interesting things to talk about and options that aren't really being utilized right now and we were talking a, a little bit about like sunk cost of like 
well, this is the way we've always done it. Like, why would right. we change? It's going to cost so much money to change. But I think that it, there's like so many benefits from trying something new. Um, and the way that you're talking about it makes me really excited that uh, at least in the design world, there might be uh, more people that are aware of that and educated on it and are willing to be that voice in the meeting that's like hey have you considered this and that might make a huge impact when it comes to production totally and even talking to your company right like if you're working for a design agency and maybe they haven't really thought about it bringing it up with like your superiors saying have we thought about this this could be a really interesting thing to put into our process and something that clients might really value. I mean, it's a selling point. People want to be more sustainable. It's just, it's hard work. It's really hard. But I do think as I listen to like Sway and as I listen to Little Fox, the ones that I mentioned, it is becoming a little bit more normalized and it's being more funded and people are starting to actually buy these materials. And there are so many of them, but it is, I mean, it's challenging. It's, it's hard to mass produce things that are made of materials that haven't really been tested. But and my hope is that as we move on, the more that designers start to choose these materials or influence them, that they become more normalized and just become the standard. That's, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for how that'll all pan out. Hopefully. Well, yeah. <laughs> and the, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about like your personality is that you, uh, you foster dogs. And I know that's totally different from like your career, uh, your side projects. I just thought that was really cool. Like why, how, when, how did this happen? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I mean, so I really love dogs like many people, but I'm not ready to adopt the dog. And I, I was working from home this whole year and I had heard, I mean, you might have heard this too, but like during the pandemic, dog adoptions went up massively. And mm. even like getting to be a foster for a dog was, there's like a waiting list. Like everybody huh. was like, I'm home. I want to do something with the dog, whatever. So I, in the springtime, started to look at places and I was lucky I got um, to foster with this organization called Muddy Paul's Rescue. And they're in New York City and they're so great. And they actually rescue, I think, out like a thousand dogs every year. And they transport them in from other states that are overwhelmed in their shelters, usually southern states like Georgia. I had two dogs from Kentucky. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's a talk about coming from Pennsylvania to New York for the dogs coming from Kentucky. They're like, what is going on? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I fostered just two dogs so far um, while I was working at home. And the first one was Princess. She was a little chihuahua and she was so cute. I had such a hard time not keeping her. Um, but she ended up going to a great home. And then I had a second dog, Monica, who was much bigger. She was an Australian cattle dog. So she's like, her breed is meant to be on like a farm, but she made it work in New York. Um, <laughs> and so I had her, she was a little too big for my apartment, <laughs> but um, she ended up finding a really great owner too. So it was really fun to have dogs temporarily and get to care for them and introduce them to the city. I'm just like a big dog lover. So I was excited to do it. But now that I'm going back to the office, I don't know if I'll be able to do it anymore. But maybe one day we'll see. Maybe I'll eventually adopt my own dog. <laughs> I 
And if I if I'm going too fast, and if there's things you want to bring up, just butt in and say that you want to talk about something. But the last thing that I I have on my mind is kind of like a, a big thing um, a, about you and your personality is like, I mean, granted, you and I uh, we've chat like every once in a while an email. We met in person once, and now we're talking now. But uh, from the research that I did on you and kind of talking to you over time, um, you seem like somebody that's uh, really kind and like community minded and and willing to help people out and things like that. Whether it's like you going to like all of these different fundraiser events and like having a, a community website where it's talking about sustainability, something you're interested in, but really like the goal of it is like just to spread information and and, and make things more available to other people. Um, is that something that was really valued in your family? Um, kind of like something that's more of a early childhood thing of like really caring about community and and doing your best to give back to people because it's a theme that I've seen um in your posts and things that you talk about. So I'm I'm curious about that. That's my last question for you. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. That's really nice of you to say. Um, and yeah, I mean, before you got to asking if that's a family thing, I mean, it totally is. My mom is a guidance counselor actually at Bethlehem Catholic where I went to school. She was not my guidance counselor. <laughs> uh, in a way she was as a mother, but um, yeah. So she, I mean, we grew up volunteering our whole lives, my whole family. Um, and we volunteered together a lot, which is just kind of how I was raised, I guess. And as I went to New York, I just kind of wanted to continue that because I mean, it's just like a very fulfilling part of my life. And I just like to give back to the community that I'm in, like so many other people. And through volunteering or whatever it is that I'm doing at the time, I'm actually, unfortunately, not doing anything right now. Um, but I usually meet. Amazing... I think you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I just, I'm taking a break from the foster life, I'll say. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I meet just like amazing people with amazing experiences from all over. Um, I did a, a bread line when I moved here, which I mean, really is like something I did because that's something that my family did. And so I was like familiar with it and, um, feeding people is just like very easy thing to do. You literally just have to like pass out food. And like, um, I was with an amazing group of people and there are people from all over the world. And I mean, even meeting people who are like the people receiving the food are just, they have amazing stories and experiences. And um, I just like sort of being a part of the community. And I think in New York, especially, it's really easy to get caught up in like whatever your career is, like the design scene. And I'm not doing a lot of that work in my career, right? Like I'm doing a lot of like work for startups. It's not so much like making the world specifically a better place like we're not saving the world with design and that's not my goal to save the world but I do like to you know give back when I can and um I think my mom has sort of like instilled that in me in some way so um yeah I'm lucky that I grew up or with that and I hope to continue doing that wherever I'm at in some way even if it's fostering dogs, which has massive benefits for me because I just like having a dog around. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of great easy ways to get involved in New York. If you're in a city, there's like apps that you can find that 
offer volunteer groups. You can volunteer graphic design if that's your skill set. Like it's really not too challenging to offer volunteer services to like say you're also in animals. Maybe your local shelter could use some promo ads or uh, maybe they could use a new website or app. And that's a huge commitment. I'm not saying like you need to be doing stuff like that. But if it's something you're interested in, your skill set as a designer is very rare and very, very valuable, even if it's not necessarily a hands-on act. Um, and so don't underestimate what that can do, too. I I remember um, doing things like that where um, it, it was like a more on a smaller scale, like having a friend over and then making them dinner or like like these little acts of service for people. And I know that like there's that whole thing of like love languages, whether that's like your partner or just like how you express love to your friends and your community and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, just curious, like when I do that, um, that does more for my self-confidence than most other things like somebody uh taking in like food that i made for them or like doing something for somebody or being on the phone with them for like an hour to like talk them through like prepping for an interview or something like that like it that does so much for me uh that it's sometimes it kind of feels a little selfish but like it's it's i just there's something about it that's really wonderful do you do you feel that way yeah of course i mean i think like it is in a way a little bit selfish but yeah of course I mean I think like we as people we kind of forget living in this like social media world that like truly we really rely on each other and as like humans this like <laughs> organism living on a planet like we have to help each other out and so however we can do that for each other I mean that's just like at our core what we we do and what we need to be doing so um yeah, I guess, like, through signing up for things or trying to volunteer, I try to, like, get back more in touch with myself and people around me living so sort of detached, I guess, you know, being online so much or working at a desk so often. So I definitely hear you on that. This is a little, like, probably deeper than you signed up for, but <laughs> I, I I was listening to somebody talk a little while ago um, where he said that the way that he looks at people has changed over time as he got older and um he kind of sees like uh everybody as kind of like an extension of himself not in like a narcissistic way but kind of like um uh like everybody is going through life just like you and and like it's almost like the person sitting next to me or like even like you on the other end of the line like you're you're kind of more the same thing than you are different like you're you're going through the same thing you're like i don't know it's just uh, looking at people obviously setting your boundaries and, and things like that to protect yourself but like i don't know just like seeing people as more similar to you than different and and also seeing people as like hey this person used to be like just like a clean slate when they were born like seeing people more as like a collection of their experiences rather than just like oh this person has always been like this when they were 25 like there's nothing that caused this person to uh to grow into what they are now like it's just it's just an interesting way to look at life and like helping people out sometimes gives you a, a better clarity on that because you can kind of understand people a little bit more when you try to get to know them and that's another big reason why i even started this podcast is because it's such a cool thing to just 
really get to know somebody and I I don't know everything about you, but I definitely know you better than when we started the conversation. <laughs> yeah, this was so amazing. And I'm so glad I got to talk to you. I feel like you deserve a podcast where someone interviews you too, because I think you have a lot of amazing things to say. And um, you ask such deep and awesome questions. And yeah, it was just so nice to hear your thoughts and questions on things. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, this sounds like a really nice note to end on. What I do at the end of the podcast is uh, if people want to reach out to either of us, they, they either really like resource resources or they, they want to talk to you about a project or advice about life or anything like that. This is where uh, I say how people can reach out to me and then we'll end with how people can reach out to you. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, great. All right. So I'll start. So my name is Emily Giordano. I am a web designer and web flow developer, um, and I make websites. I uh, do all these different kinds of websites, whether it's like your business website that's more static or if it's like a membership website where people log in. Um, there's all these different things that you can do with animations and uh, interactions and programming, and it's really fun and uh, super easy to use on the client side. So uh, if you're interested in me, uh, working on a project for you, you can reach out to me, which is uh, my email, uh, emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignly.com, or you can find my website, which is greatdesignly.com. And so now we're going to uh, finish up with Mary-Kate, and she'll take it away. <laughs> well, um, I guess if you made it this far, thank you for listening. <laughs> you might have heard a bit about me, so I'll just leave my website and email. Um, my website is MaryKateHenry.com, M-A-R-Y-K-A-T-E-H-E-N-R-Y.com. And my email, if you want to reach out to me, is M-A-R-Y-K-A-T-E-H-E-N, like the chicken, at gmail.com. Um, so it's just MaryKateHen at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for everything today. And I guess this is goodbye until next time. Yeah, I guess so. We'll have to catch up soon. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you then. Thank you so much, Emily.